Well, hello, hello. Welcome to TAO Intentions Podcast. Our guest this evening will be Vicky from Her Food Channel. Today, she'll be discussing human rights. And so, let's continue. Hi, Vicky. Hi, Arkit. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Welcome back. I'm, I'm good. Thanks for welcoming me back on this episode and your podcast. I'm very excited. Wonderful. I'm excited, too. I was waiting to, to find an opportunity to get you on before you know, we take a little bit of a break, but I'm glad that 100%. you said yes and you're here. Yeah, for sure. I'm here too. I'm very excited to be here. Um, and I really enjoy the topics that you cover on your podcast. So I can't wait. Okay. I'm glad that you're one of them <laughs> and you feel, you know, like as, as part of the family uh, for the podcast. For sure. mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah, for sure. So you had shared in our last podcast episode together of your studies in school. Today, I would like to talk a bit more in depth about human rights and your motivation. So you have finally graduated from university. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. Can you reshare what you studied? For sure. So I studied at the University of Ottawa, and the program I was in is titled Honors Bachelors in Social Sciences in Conflict Studies and Human Rights. In this program, um, you learn about the basics and the root causes of conflict, um, why conflict occurs in the world, why it continued to occur throughout many centuries, um, international relations, the different type of treaties and protocols in place for uh, specific countries or nations that have wars and we learned that wars and conflicts are not only caused for um, one specific reason there are many reasons and these reasons include race ethnicity nationalism um, economic factors the environment and um, we, we learn reasons why individuals or people from the community protest against governments and why certain rules and bills are passed and why it takes a long time for it to be passed. Um, if you go on the Ottawa U's website um, and you go onto my program, Honors Bachelors of Social Sciences in Conflict Studies and Human Rights, um, it says, and I quote, that program explores the causes and consequences of the many armed conflicts that persist around the world and brings you to objectively reflect on issues such as human rights, war, peace, international security, and much more. Um, So essentially, that's what my program is about, and that's what I studied. And it's a very mind-opening program. And it is a, you know, one of my um, colleagues said that it is a very small program at the University of Ottawa but it is a very intense program and I would never change anything in a way where I would not want to go to this program or prevent myself from going to this program if I was someone who could travel back in time. Okay. Well, it sounds, you know, like an interesting program, definitely. I mean, even with our conversations about certain discussions that you have in this program, I was, I basically was you know, so consumed by the topics and discussions mm-hmm. that you had mentioned to me. And I thought, wow, like this yeah. is really a good program. And, yeah. you know, it made me think about a lot of things um, that you yeah. had even mentioned. So I thought, oh, my God, I'm just going to have her come on a podcast episode and talk about this because I, I've i never looked into personally human rights and you know looked for the motivation the fuel behind it in any way i knew that it was necessary but i i've never dedicated a specific amount of time in my day or in my week to really research human rights and what it's truly about so i'm really glad that you're here to have that talk with me um yeah for sure i agree with you because um you know a lot of people when you think, when they think of human rights, you know, and me being someone who was in, in another program and coming into this program, um, it's it's not a topic of discussion that goes on every day at the dinner table, for example. It's not something that everyone is interested in. It's it's I guess it's one of the stereotypes I can think of 
that's associated with human rights or the study of human rights and conflicts is something like it's boring or it's too political but it's a very like I said a mind-opening program you start to see once you go through um, you know obviously in your first year of study it's all the basic fundamental theories and um, the way that human works and individuals operate you know all those basic stuff but as you get into higher years and you start to explore like case studies and examples and real-life examples that have happened in the world you will start to see the connections to why human rights or why people continue to protest for so many human rights you know basic human rights such as the freedom of expression or or access to water which which to a lot of people are big human rights and equality so yeah I I am very passionate about what I studied and I really enjoyed what I studied okay wonderful based on what you have learned in school what is the history of human rights so before I get into the history of human rights I'm going to define what human rights means so human rights are the conditions that are entitled to and given to people in society for a better societal function and that which brings equality justice and democracy and so when we look at the history of human rights um, it represents the evolution or it represents at least a few aspects of the evolution of human rights, um, sorry, of not human rights, of humanity, that's what I meant. Um, and when we go all the way back to when humanity was evolving and to when continents were having trade between each other, continents such as Europe and Africa and uh, countries such as the United States of America, when they were trading and there were a lot of um, individuals, especially from the black community, who were being deported as slaves to work in many different types of environments. There was, as, as the slave trade began and as the trade slaves started expanding a lot more, there was a lot of demand for um, human rights in terms of um, their, their employment and the conditions that they were working in. And unfortunately, human rights and, you know, the title of human rights and equality for a lot of people in the slave trade was not being granted for many many years and first in the in the history of human rights uh, human rights were first introduced um, on December 10th 1948 and it was when the Universal Decla Declaration of Human Rights was established and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights is a milestone document which I'm quoting from the United Nations website in the history of human rights it was drafted by representatives with different legal and cultural backgrounds from all regions of the world. And this uh, declaration, this document, uh, represents the many human rights that humans are entitled to. Um, it, it has many different articles, such as Article 1, which says all humans are born free and equal in dignity and rights. They are endowed with reason and conscience and should act towards one another in a spirit of brotherhood. And this, these articles go on a long way. And if you go on the United Nations website, or if you just Google the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, um, you will see all the articles and the basic fundamental human rights and the extent of which human rights that everyone is entitled to. Okay. Well, thank you for breaking that down for me. What no does <laughs> what does human rights mean to you? I know you gave the definition of what you've read and you know, yeah. all, all of the push, especially with the language um, that organizations and agencies have incorporated into their motto as well. I just wanted to know what does human rights mean to you specifically? For sure. Um, like I said at the beginning, human rights, it's a very passionate topic for me and it's a very broad field of study. So to me, human rights means for individuals to truly have access to obtain the, their equal rights and privileges that they are entitled to. And what I mean by this is that every single day as a person, you should be able to practice your human rights um, wherever you are. 
you know, whether you're at your workplace, whether you're at school, whether you're at home with your family, whether you're on the street going on a jog, you know, you as a person, you're entitled to so many human rights. And unfortunately, um, there are many social, legal, racial, ethnical, financial, environmental, political, economic barriers. Yes, there. Are, these are a lot of barriers, but these are realistic barriers that prevent or limit individuals from truly practicing their human rights. And to go more deep into what I mean is that, you know, in paper, we have the definition of human rights, but not everyone truly has access to it. So for example, um, the basic human right, one of it is to have basic access to water or um, essential nutrients. Um, or for example, Article 3 from the Universal Declaration of Human Rights says everyone has the right to life, liberty, and security of person. So everyone should have a right to be secure and safe and have a right to life. But unfortunately, like I said, due to all these barriers, not everyone has access to it. Even though it could be written on paper, not all individuals have access to a secure home, access to a shelter, access to a safe environment. Right? So for me, human rights, even though it represents equality, democracy, and justice, if it limits someone or if it limits a group of people, a population or a region from having access to all these basic human rights, it really prevents them from practicing their human rights. And it really prevents, the whole, in my opinion, the whole definition of human rights. So for me, that's what it means. Um, yeah, and yeah, that's what it means to me. <laughs> no problem. I mean, based on your your definition, I've I've never truly understood why there, you know, is a, a a large group of people who wanted to take away people's human rights, and I I've never understood the motivation behind um, people doing that, um, especially when I look at you know the situation with Palestine. And sure. I, I, I mean, I don't know very much about what's happening in Palestine. I just know that it's, it's just a, a continuation of a very long war. And when I have asked people about it, like, why does Israel feel that they have ownership of Palestine and, you know, treat the people like they're just disposable? And when I've asked these questions before, They've just kind of said, well, you know, Israel is a is a biblical is a biblical land. It's it's where you know Jesus um, died and 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 rose, and so they they felt that you know because they were this is a land that was you know blessed by God that they have the right to go and to take back the land of Palestine, which is their own. And I said, but if there's people that live there and they, this Israel believes that they are the chosen land by God, does that not mean that they should value um, God's creations? So why go there and, and try to destroy these people's homes, try to push them off, off of the land and take it back? Where, where would these people go if Israel was successful? And so what, what is the true purpose with causing that much pain, destruction, and death and, and using God as a reason for, for why they're, they're, they're causing so much malice in the world? And so I just, for the life of me, could not understand the justification for such, so much death. And I believe that that's where human rights come in. But I mean... There are so many organizations in the world that support human rights. And for some apparent reason, this has been going on for years. So sometimes I wonder how effective is human rights in, so in the world. Think, yeah. So in terms of Israel and Palestine um, conflict, and it's not only that specific conflict. There has been many, many conflicts throughout the world that you know, like I said in the beginning, has been going on for many centuries and decades. And in fact, it was only recent that I found out that if a conflict or war is taken to the ICC, um, which is the International Criminal Court, or is dealt with international relations, um, 
it was it was during a session that I was learning about this and I can't remember if they exactly the word to word they said but it was along the lines of the int international criminal crime right um, and I'm not sure if they're exactly always taken to the international criminal court but if they are and if it's dealt with international relations from what I remember um, it takes a long time it's a long process for a lot of things to be put in place and for justice to be established and sometimes when justice is established you know there's a lot of individuals who feel like it's not the true justice that needed to be established and like this in this question is a topic in its own you know to talk about because there are so many factors that contribute to it and that's what I meant by access um, a lot of people they do not have access to having their basic human rights even though they I, you know I want to say even though they're entitled to it they may not have access to it um, for example a very simple example I can give is someone who's immigrating from another country into another country um, they're not essentially just because they immigrated right away and and um, because Article 3 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights says everyone has the right to life, liberty, and security of a person, a person, sorry. Um, yes, they, they have that right, but once they immigrated into that country, they are now entitled to the country's laws. And if the country's law says, you know, you do not have a permanent residence until you meet these these conditions you will not get one until you meet those conditions and some people don't have access to make those conditions they may not have access to employment they may not have access to uh, secure housing immediately they may not have a support system so in that case these human rights will be lingering for a very long time for that person or for those individuals right so that's what i think when i mean and I guess to answer your question in a specific way, like if, if a lot of people don't have access to their human rights or have access to even practice their human rights, it really causes um, disruption among their environment. And it, it causes a lot of conflicts to go on for a lot of decades. Oh, wow. In okay. my opinion. Okay. So and what my analogy is, yeah. Yeah, thank you for explaining that. I didn't realize it was all that red tape that was preventing. And I mean, mm -hmm. Israel and Palestine um, situation has been going on for a very long time. So in my mind, it's like red tape shouldn't be taking that long for certain things to, to be executed. I don't know, that's just me, but maybe yeah. there's a lot more going on in the back end that we're not aware of. Would you, yeah. mm -hmm, would you say that you drive, your drive with human rights was due to the story you shared about wars in your family um, experienced in Sri Lanka, um, is that the basis of your passion um, about human rights? Um, for sure. I definitely don't mind answering this one. Actually, I'm very passionate about this question because it drives me back to, like I said in my other podcast, the root, my roots um, and the root causes of where I am uh, today as as a person, I, I, I would like to say. But to answer this question, uh, I would not say that the war my family experienced in Sri Lanka completely and fully drove me towards human rights. Um, however, the injustices of the Tamil Sri Lankan people, what they have experienced in the war and what they continue to experience in terms of post-war conflicts pushed me to want to explore what, I, what really happened in the war and um, how that's in relation to human rights. Um, many people who experience war or live through war, um, they they have a lot of traumatic experiences and they become afraid to speak about it because they fear that it could go against their own life or it could go against their status in the country that they are living in. And many people immigrate to other countries um, to escape the war, to escape the conflict that they are facing in their homeland and to find security and peace in this other wealthier country. And this doesn't only apply to um, countries or individuals of war, but individuals who have faced 
traumatic experiences from the war. Recently, I did a paper um, for my final exam, and it kind of diverted into my final exam as well. And I explored um, one aspect of the um, Sri Lankan war between the Tamil ethnic group and the Singhala ethnic group. And a lot of uh, Tamil civilians and a lot of victims of the war continue to face a lot of uh, traumatic experiences like depression or post-traumatic disorder or um, just having nightmares and and remembrances of torture and those factors really affect people's life for the long run um, and my parents my parents are great parents and they have educated my siblings and I about our homeland and what our people have went through um, but I think as parents they still are very, um, and I, I'm not going to just say my parents, but I think this applies to any Tamil Sri Lankan parents. They're very cognitive and very critical about um, how we want to say certain things that happened in the war because they, they, they fear that they do not want us to experience things that they've experienced. Um, they do not want us to ex go through things they have went through in the war. Um, and for me, that those types of feelings and emotion pushed me to want to know how human rights is relation, related to the war the Tamil civilians have experienced um, and the victims of the Sri Lankan war. Okay, I really like how you you know you broke that down and just kind of brought back your passion to you know your root experience, especially within your yeah. country. And I do appreciate you sharing that, even from you know the stories from the first podcast episode. I was like, wow, I was so drawn yeah. into your story and I could really feel yeah. it. And just thinking about your mom, who I've never met, and I'm like, she is a <laughs> hero. <laughs> um, yeah, I just feel like the first podcast is very, how do I phrase it? It's, it's a very personal podcast and it's, it's where you can, I guess, get to know me more. Um, like, you know, for example, uh, people who do YouTube, they have their content, but then here and there they'll post videos of like Q&A or get to know me type of videos. It was like a podcast where people got to know a few sides of me, a few aspects of me, but versus this podcast, when we're talking about human rights, I think it's better to break it down as much as I can, because like I said, it's, it's a topic that a lot of people till this day find it hard to wrap their head around because like you you've asked so many questions already right just like that many people have so many questions why does this happen why does this happen in fact like um last semester not last semester sorry not the 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 one from september to december i was taking a course um about democracy and we were having a great discussion in the class and throughout the discussion i was just wondering if this all these conflicts happen then where's peace going to be? And I remember asking my professor, you know, questions of like, why, why are all of these things implemented, but yet peace is lingering or peace is not granted effectively yet. And even my professor did not have an answer to. So I think it's very important to break down topics like human rights, just so people can understand truly what is what it is about and how it could lead them into understanding more mm -hmm. okay so who are the human rights activists individuals in history that inspired you so the first uh human rights activist individual in history that inspired me uh was rosa parks uh rosa louise McClawley, if I'm pronouncing her, her name wrong, please forgive me. Uh, Parks was an American activist in the civil rights movement, best known for her uh, pivotal role in the Montague Mary bus boycott. And this I'm quoting um, from, I believe, Wikipedia, uh, because I just wanted to give a lot of background information about her. Uh, I quote, the United States Congress called her the first lady of civil rights and the mother of freedom movement. Uh, she was born on February 4th, 1913, and she died on October 24th, 2005, uh, 2005 sorry, not 2015. <laughs> um, but the reason why she inspired me is because I remember this was in elementary school and we were learning about um, the different aspects of uh, the black community uh, during Black History Month. And she was someone uh, that I had to do a project and she was someone that 
I was given like you know options to do a project on and the the other the famous ones well she's still famous but the more pivotal ones the much more severely pivotal ones uh, in terms of human activists during Black History Month they were all taken by all the other students and she was like one of the ones that haven't been taken so I was like okay let me do a project about her and I was very amazed how during that time you know um, when it comes to human rights and when it comes to the black community there are still factors that uh, not only the black community but other communities around the black community were still facing till this day to have for them to have more much more equal rights or for discrimination to stop and if we're still facing that today and this is 2021 i can only imagine the discrimination she was facing back between 1913 and 2005 right where there was not as much activism or effective um effective factors in place to prevent uh black discrimination and for her to stand up in the bus or for her to rebel in the bus and say, no, I do not want to give up my, uh, my seat because I'm a person of color, that's very powerful. And I think if everyone has that type of attitude in terms of obtaining their rights, if you, whether you're a person of color or not, um, I think it really will bring a movement in today's society. So she's the first person I look up to. The second person um, in terms of human rights activist in history that inspires me, is Malala Yousafzai. Again, I'm very sorry if I pronounced her last name wrong. And I'm quoting this from, I believe, um, I would like to say Wikipedia, but I'm not going to say Wikipedia. <laughs> I'm going to quote this from Google. And she uh, often, she was often referred to as the monumentally um, as Malala. She was a Pakistan activist for female education and the youngest Nobel Prize uh, winner. She was born July 12, 1997, and her place of residence is the United uh, Kingdom. She's right now 23 years old. And the reason why I look up to her is because she is an activist for education for women. And I I can resonate with her in a to a certain extent because I come from a culture where, I've mentioned this in my previous podcast, that yes we're very colorful yes we're very family oriented and loving but a lot of aspects of the south asian cultures uh, prevent women from continuing education or in fact a lot of women do not obtain education they they're born they're put into the works of women immediately and i think for a woman to have education in her hand is very powerful and education is very powerful it gives you a lot of insight and for this young women to be fighting for women education at a, from a young age is very powerful for me. So this is someone I look up to as well. Okay. And what are some positions that you would consider in human rights? And this is more of a question on, you know, your career direction. Mm-hmm. 100%. So like I mentioned um, at the beginning of the podcast, human rights is a massive and very broad field of work. Um, most of the time when people think of human rights, they immediately think of being an activist or being a lawyer or being a member or a director of the United Nations or any international organization. And there's nothing wrong with, uh, with that. I think um, those are all great positions. For me personally, I haven't really exactly, how do I phrase it? I'm not going to say decided, but I haven't really started, I guess, proclaiming what I want to do, but my greatest passion in terms of human rights uh, lies for women and teenage youngsters, female teenage youngsters specifically, and to work with them and to allow them to truly see that despite cultural or social barriers, that they are individuals who are also able to obtain a lot of human rights um, and in fact all of their human rights whatever they're entitled to Um, and I feel like helping build organizations or helping build advocacy and advocating for these type of individuals is where my passion relies because I till this day I see a lot of women struggling with a lot of things in terms of um, resources or lifestyle Um, a lot of young teenage pregnant females where I, I, my heart just draws towards them and I can only imagine the type of um, negativity, negativity, sorry, and 
negative aspects that they are experiencing. So just to create a really good environment and advocate for them is is somewhere I see myself going. Mm, okay. And what are some of the agencies that support human rights? So some of the agencies that support human rights are the United Nations, the United Nations Council, the ICC, which again, it represents it, it's an acronym for the International Criminal Court, um, and organizations like the World Health Organization, Red Cross. Um, those are agencies and organizations that really support human rights and really, like I said, it's not something, I don't think a lot of uh, conflicts or wars related to human rights and human rights advocacy is something that happens overnight, immediately, it's not like a dream, but these are agencies that continue to uh, advocate for a lot of human rights. and. Um, in fact, sometimes, you know, when we see nations that have been having conflicts for decades or centuries, and you might be wondering, you know, why isn't peace granted there? Why are people still suffering there? Why are there post-war traumatic experiences for individuals? And sometimes countries do not ratify or do not consent with um, the International Criminal Court's treaties or protocols and that limits the International Criminal Court or the United Nations Council from stepping in and helping the conflict. So yes, these agencies advocate and promote human rights, but at the same time, if a country or a nation does not agree to their protocols, when I mean their protocols, I mean the International Criminal Court's protocols or the United Nations protocols, it's very hard for them for the United Nations or the International Criminal Court or the United Nations Council, for example, to step in and be like, hey, we're going to help you because this nation, if they didn't agree, it's hard for them to do that. Um, but personally, in my personal opinion, I think your voice is a big agency to promote human rights. If you see something happening in front of you and you know it's wrong, you don't need to necessarily quote all the articles from the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, but standing up and just saying the simple words as, hey, don't do this, this is not right, I don't think it should be this way, and just voicing it out, you know, whether that be for yourself or someone else, it does bring a movement, it does, you know, it, the atmosphere changes, people around you will be like, whoa, what's happening, why are they saying that, what's, what's going on, it brings awareness, and I think using your voice really shakens up the place and it, it starts from you essentially like you you need to as a person you know stand up and speak for whatever injustices or atrocities you see in front of you i think in my personal opinion if you can do that you it, it, it's it's a great thing to do well i know that a lot of people have made the argument that you know be careful if you do stand mm -hmm. up because you really don't know you know, who these people are and their mind frame, you yeah. could end up losing your life mm -hmm. um, over just disagreeing. And so 100%. I feel like that's a conversation that needs to be had. Like how can people stand up and do the right thing without, you know, fear of their lives being taken or their livelihood or completely being destroyed just because they disagree and because they stand up for mm -hmm. for people and so in that case that's kind of the reason i i it's not kind of the reason but i i would like to explore that aspect of of human rights yeah. because you know you, you have some people like you'll see examples online where people um you know see a female being harassed and she's scared yeah. and um, some guys or a guy will step in and said, hey, you know, that's not right. Um, please stop doing that. And they would get jumped and they end up in the hospital, broken ribs, broken arms, legs, whatever. And, you know, it kind of discourages a lot of people from really from really helping other people out or standing up for them. Like even the Good Samaritan, we have mm -hmm. that. We, we hear about that all the time. And people are always like, you know, be a good Samaritan. But sometimes that backfires. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of people. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have a lot of people that, you know, would try to save someone's life. Um, maybe they were trying to kill themselves and you didn't know. And you value their life enough to try to give them CPR. And you broke a ribs and they survived and they got angry. So they went after your livelihood to sue you for a lot of money just to because they're angry that you saved their lives 
or things like that. So this is definitely a conversation I would like to have at another time about, you know, because at this point, that's, I feel like that would be um, an issue and what is causing a lot of maybe even violation of the human rights because yeah. of people fighting against and and doing bad things to reinforce that you know you should know your lane you should not step in you should not speak up like learn to stay over there and it's almost like if you're a good person and you do something good then you will be punished and so i feel like that is something that i would like to explore in the future just kind of understanding the the mindset and you know the psychology behind um, doing that as well yeah. but I really do yeah. thank you for sharing about that question yeah. oh no I think I thank you for expressing your um, thoughts as well um, I think you know this like you said this is something you know topics like these are conversations to have in itself you know it's it's not something that you can try to quickly say because it, it does it is a very sensitive, emotional topic um, or topics of human rights. Um, you know, the one thing that comes to my mind is if if this is how a lot of people feel and this is how people um, have their mindset to, then it's very hard to really, you know, bring a movement. For example, my personal experience I would like to share when... Um, uh, there was this uh, trend going on social media, um, and this was this was for to bring awareness of the continuation of the discrimination that was happening against the Tamil civilians in Sri Lanka. And this this trend essentially wanted all Tamil civilians who are from Sri Lanka who identify themselves from Tamil Ilam, which is the Tamil side of Sri Lanka, to post a picture with their hand risen up, which signifies that they vow that they are against the discrimination happening to the Tamil people. And so I, because of my passion for my people that continues to grow and I continue to learn about it, I posted that picture and I, I was part of this trend and I was part of this movement that was happening on social media. And when I was telling one of my aunts about it, she was very, like, scared for me. She's, she's, she's saying all these things that can potentially happen. And I do not blame her because, like I said, she lived through the war. Unlike me, who came to Canada at, three, at the age of three, I didn't see much, right? I can only remember a few things from maybe stories that my mom may recall. But I understand her fear. And I remember saying to her, that, you know, if people continue to live in this fear or people continue to think like, oh, why speak up? We're going to get sabotaged. Why say this? We're going to get run over. It's not our business. Oh, it happened. Let it continue happening. It will it will end one day. If people continue to be in that mindset, whoever is causing the problem will continue to cause the problem because they know the opponent is going to be mentally weak in this way. So I just personally think that, you know, yes, people are bashed, people are put down, people go through a lot of things for speaking up. Um, but I think it's better to maybe say something if you can. If you can. When I say if you can, means like if you're really able to, if you want to, if you truly feel like you should, if you can, it's better to say at least one thing than, and, and have a movement or have the atmosphere shaken rather than saying nothing and letting whatever injustices being happen happen mm -hmm. that that's just my point of view and my opinion and i know it's easy to say and hard to practice and that's something like i said like it's something that even i as as a student from this program learn step by step every day you know and i try to try my best to say something if i can and i think that that practice in itself is something that can bring change if not tomorrow if not next year if not in the 10 deck if not in 10 decades for sure one day mm -hmm. you know? okay so let's talk about mediators coming from a country yeah. of war what do you feel are the qualities required to resolve the conflicts of wars for sure so i this this last semester of mine i took this course called track to diplomacy um and in this course we learn about mediators and we learn about how conflicts are bring are 
brought to discussion. Um, so I just, before I answer the question, I just want to talk about two theories that jump out. Um, and I think it's important to acknowledge these two theories because without acknowledging these two theories, it's very, I think it's very uh, ineffective to really talk about the qualities of mediators. And these two theories are ripeness and readiness. And ripeness, the theory of ripeness represents how ripe conflict is or how ripe the war is meaning how how bad has it been um, from what I know and what I've learned um, and what I'm wrapping my head around it, I, I'm sure that you know along those lines how how ripe has it been so when you think of a banana when it's ripe that's when it's the better condition to eat it in and to, it's, it's like that analogy how ripe it is like it how how has the war been last few years decades that now we need a change and that's when readiness comes in um are the people involved in the war not the civilians i'm, I'm talking about the two conf conflicting groups are they ready to talk about it are there are they are their minds like okay we're going to talk about it can we talk about it are we able to talk about it now and um from what i learned unless you know a group a conflict is ripe and a group or two groups are ready, it's very hard to bring those two factors or two conflicting groups and the conflict and talk about it because they just want to continue fighting. And this is when mediators come in. Mediators um, come in to talk about the two groups and their conflict and what they're doing and how they can move forward, how they can resolve and bring a peaceful atmosphere. And the qualities of these mediators are, um, there's a lot of qualities, but I'm just gonna mention a few of them, um, only because I think these qualities are are effective too. But the, the list goes on, but number one is the ability to obtain knowledge and understanding of the conflict. As mediators, I think if you're mediating um, a conflict between two conflicting groups, you should very well know about the conflict. like. You should know a lot more, in my personal opinion, I think the mediator should know a lot more than the people fighting them themselves. Because thinking about it, if you're a conflicting group, you're going to only know or you're going to try and know as much as you can from your perspective and the other and the other group know from their perspective. But as a mediator, you should know both of the perspectives. You should know, you know, you should be able to stand upside down with your eyes closed and say as much as you can about the conflict. Um, and I think that's very important. I think it's important to understand the cultures of the conflict, where the two groups are coming from in terms of their culture, the stereotypes associated with the culture, um, the, the, the biases and everything that's associated with cultural norms and social norms, and if they have a play in why the conflict was caused. Um, another quality is the ability to obtain decision makers. Um, and what I mean by this is that decision makers are implemented to communicate as well as be like, okay, this is the conflict. This is what happened. Okay, now this is the decision that we are thinking of making or we are going to make. Um, when you have decision makers on your team, decision makers should be able to quicken up what's going on and be like, okay, we're going to now do this and we're going to try and direct the conflict or direct the conflicting groups this way. For example, in one of my lectures, my uh, professor mentioned that, you know, if you are a mediator and you see two conflicting groups, they, one says, you know, you shot my brother-in-law's head and the other one says, well, you your, your conflicting group raped my daughter. Those are very emotional topics. Those are very sensitive. You know, that brings a lot of emotion. And for a decision maker to be present, the decision maker should know where that conversation should lead and how that should be alter, alternated to a point where, okay, now we're going to stop talking about this or now we're going to talk about what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. So another quality, yeah, so another quality, the... Uh, mediator should have is the ability to trust the two groups so trust is you know a big aspect of when it comes to trying to resolve a problem between two groups or two ethnicities or or 
however many groups or people involved. Um, and I think mediators should trust that, you know, I don't, and I'm not saying you should blindly trust, but I think as a mediator, you should trust that what these people are saying from their point of view is true to a certain extent. They are expressing their emotions. They are being very sensitive. They are being very attentive. So having the ability to trust them and to be like, okay, I, I see your point of view. I understand and I trust and I know how you, I, well, you don't have to say you know, but I get it. I get the pain and the emotion, right? And to have that one-on-one -on -one connection, you know, it's like, for example, in a relationship, if you don't trust your partner, that relationship's not going to last for a very long time, right? In the same way, if a mediator doesn't trust one of the conflicting groups in terms of their emotions and their sensitivity and what they're saying and what point of view they're coming from, it's very hard to go on to mediation. And I'm not saying, like, you should just blindly trust everything the conflicting group is saying, but to have that trusting relationship is needed. Yeah. Another quality is the ability to obtain knowledge and understanding and how decisions are operated um and this you know requires the third party so when i mean third party it's another way of saying mediators to be patient and to see where the conversation is leading to um sometimes you know you can from what i learned you can go into a room thinking that t today you're going to have the step one of the resolutions uh, implemented but it could be a whole entire day of crying and emotion or it could be a whole entire day of um, verbal battles and you know you should as a mediator you should know where the conversation is leading and how to operate the decisions in terms of that day um, and another one is the ability to have emotional uh, intelligence and empathy um, and I think I touched based on this just a few minutes ago in terms of like when when a conflicting group is expressing their emotion you know to have empathy and be like you know i understand your shoes of pain and i could see i could see how you feel if my family went through the same thing or if my partner or my child or my relationships my relatives went through the same thing yeah okay those are the qualities no problem i do have to to wonder sometimes these countries yeah. or or groups who are involved in wars like I, I don't understand why they have not looked at their perspective as mutual assured destruction wars this is this is what you know it brings forward is mutual assured destruction you're taking hits on your side they're taking hits on their sides and you're you're both just destroying your your community your countries and all of the values and 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 everything so I wish sometimes, you know, when I look at these people who are actively in war uh, with another country or another society or, uh, you know, another group or organization, that they realize that they're actually losing more than they're gaining, um, again, with the, the philosophy of mutual assured destruction. Now, I wanted to um, kind of close out the podcast episode by talking about um, what you will be, what we should expect from her food channel going forward since you have completed school 100 percent um i think i mentioned in my last podcast that her food channel which is my youtube channel and my um instagram platform for my cooking and food content um it's gonna stay i don't think i would you know take it down i have you know i think it's a very getaway escape from my stress of the world but moving forward you can expect more content around food and cooking. And when I mean by more food content, I don't only mean recipes and uh, different ways of cooking, but things related to food and how food tackles our daily living, um, aspects of culture and how culture tackles our daily living, funny videos, um, what, you know, food hacks, um, you know, potentially another, how do I phrase it? I don't, I can't think of the right words at the moment, but I could say a lot of content around food and cooking because mm -hmm. food and cooking is a, is a very broad aspect of everyone's life, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah. Um, I do not, unfortunately, I don't have a schedule on me right now exactly on bi-weekly or weekly when I will be posting, but I will try and stay consistent as I can and post more videos now since, like you mentioned, I've done school. Um, and yeah. Okay. 
So where can people find your channel and, and your social media handles? I'm sure, you know, once a time comes when you do have a schedule and you, you know what you're posting, that you would be posting it up on your social media. Um, yeah. So where would they find your channel and your social media handles? So if you go on YouTube and you just, you know, type in her food channel without any spaces altogether, like as a one word, her food channel, you should be able to find mine If you, in case you don't because it's, fairly new and you know not at a million subscribers or anything if if you can't find it then you can just you know uh, capitalize every single word so capitalize her and then capitalize f for food and then capitalize c so c for channel so her food channel so the first letter of each word is capitalized if you type that in on youtube as well you should be able to find me then um if you go on instagram it's the same it's underscore her food channel you'll be able to find me Okay, perfect. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today in the podcast, talk about human re- our human rights, and then we also discussed your food channel. Um, thank you. Thank you so much, Orchid, for having me. I know this topic, for everyone who was listening, I know this is probably a very um, hot topic. Uh, maybe, you know, you've reached this end of the podcast and you're still confused about how things work in terms of human rights and that's completely fine because like you i was so confused during my first few lectures in this program as well um but you know if you're someone who's very passionate look into more articles read about it um you can you know always reach out to me i can from what i learned and my own experiences i can you know help you in terms of your knowledge um and yeah if i have ever said anything like in terms of grammar, if I butchered something or pronounced someone's name wrong or I've said, um, 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 uh, please forgive me. <laughs> You're probably kind of annoying. But I was just trying to, like Orchid said, break it down as simple and concise as I can. Um, and yeah, thank you guys for listening. All right, perfect. You have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I hope you all enjoyed this episode. As you can see, Vicky is back and her personality is still bright as ever. And she has brought a lot of energy with her. So definitely download this episode. Listen to it. If you like it, don't forget to share it with your friends. And don't forget to click the follow button under TAO Intentions Podcast on the Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. TAO social media pages are Facebook at The Ambitious Obsession, Instagram and Twitter at The Ambitious Ops. Now, I hope you guys have a wonderful day.